Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It's Thursday, December 1st, 2011, and our special guests tonight are Tasha Bergson-Michelson, Debbie Abelock, and Jolie Seroff. Welcome to each of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're really happy to be here. Hi. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, and they're all three sharing a computer. Are you at Google's facility right now? We are. We're sitting right in the heart of the Googleplex. How fun. We'll get to that. The Future of Education is sponsored by my Web 2.0 Labs project. That's web20labs.com. Come see all the fun things that we're doing. Uh, and also Blackboard Collaborate, uh, the, what used to be called Illuminate, and it's the environment that we're in right now. Coming up on the Future of Education, lots of fun interesting interviews, a diverse set of interviews coming up. Malia Dicker is going to talk about reschooling herself. Um, she's um, at IDEA, the Institute for Democracy Education of America, and Scott Nine, the uh, CEO of that group, came on. And um, It's a fascinating organization and well worth the time. Lisa Nielsen is going to talk about hacking education on December 8th. David Maxfield Maybe not well known in education circles, but um, co-author of some very well-known books, uh, Influencer, Crucial Conversations, um, and one called Change Anything. Um, he's going to come on to talk about their theories and how they might relate to education. Then a really fun program with students, the Blue Valley School CAPS program. Scott McLeod comes on in Jukes. Mitch Perlstein on a fascinating book about the sort of um, Unspoken Effect of Family on Education. Can't wait for that. Cheryl Nussbaum Beach on her new book, The Connected Educator. Henry Eyring, co-author with Clayton Christensen on a book called The Innovative University. Anyway, lots more coming up. Hope you'll join us for something or something interests you. If you've missed any of our sessions, they are all recorded in full Illuminate versions, but also in MP3 files. As I said, Scott Nine was on last week. We have all the recordings for the Global Education Conference and the Future of Libraries conferences that are up. Um, Mike Mariner was on. What a delightful uh, experience that was. Mark Sermon from uh, Mozilla. Anyway, David Lurcher. Uh, David's coming on again in January to talk about his um, uh, learning comments program. Uh, which comes out of the library world. And there's a brilliant connection with the tech world, and I'm really hoping that we can do a lot more bridging of those two worlds. So this is your chance to tell us or indicate where you're participating from. Look to the left of the map. You'll see some icons. The second one down is a star. If you double-click on that and then click on the map, you can, you can indicate where you're participating from might also be fun to have a shout out in the chat. I know some of you have been doing that in advance. Love the, the geographic diversity that we're seeing in this show. How fun. At least three from Australia. Looks like we may even have China. Great fun. Looks like maybe someone in Hawaii. Palestine. Boy, this is a terrific audience. Wherever you're from, we're sure delighted to have you here. Feel free to keep putting those notes in the chat there, but I am going to move us forward here. Okay, so we have a poll from our guests. They would want to know 
Uh, if you would let them know if you're a technology teacher, a librarian, an administrator, a classroom teacher, or other. And you indicate that by looking for the icon with the A in at the top of the participant window. Once you hover over it, it will drop down and you can make your selection. So you'd select A for technology teacher, B for librarian, C for an administrator, D for classroom teacher, and E for other. I'll give you a second to do your indicating here, and then I will publish the results, although it looks pretty clear that we have a librarian crowd tonight, or heavily weighted that direction. So I'm going to go to Tools Polling, and I'm going to publish the response. And there you can see. So Tasha, Debbie, and Jolie, it looks like lots of librarians here. Yeah, so it's great to see you all here. Thank you for coming out tonight. And I'm glad that we do have a variety of people because I know that we um, really value input from so many different kinds of teachers. And these days, there are lots of different folks in the world teaching search. So we're really pleased to have everyone here. So some of you are putting your letter in the chat. But look for the icon at the top of the participant window that's an A. And if you hover over that, it lets you actually make a selection there. Because we're going to do some more of these tonight. So do do make your selection there in the poll with the polling icon. It's at the top of the participant window there are four icons, the one that's furthest to the right. And it looks like we've actually sort of got some updated numbers here. So I'm going to publish again. If you're something other, if you fall under E and you wanted to share in chat, we'd love to hear what it is that you do. Terrific. Okay, so uh, Tasha, I think at one point when you and I talked, you described yourself as a search geek. Is that a phrase that uh, the three of you would use to describe right. yourselves? What, what would you ladies say? I would definitely use that phrase to describe Tasha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Debbie might be able to join me in that, but we we all come at this from a slightly different a slightly different perspective and a slightly different background. So why don't we have you each uh, briefly introduce yourselves, and if you would, before you answer each question tonight, just let us know who's speaking. Um, and and Tasha, can we start with you? Sure. Hi, I'm Tasha Bergson Michelson. I can be recognized by the lovely, strong voice that I bring tonight. Um, and I am a librarian, and I do work at Google. Um, I have a very varied library career, but it's almost always been in libraries where search is a big part, information, electronic information retrieval, I should say, is a big part of the equation. Um, and I care passionately about raising generations of children who know how to apply information in an educated way um, through popular tools and more scholarly tools. And uh, I am now at Google as part of our search education team. Hi, this is Joey Seroff, and I am Director of Library and Academic Technology at Castellet School, which is an all-girls school, grades 6 through 12, in Palo Alto, California. And I um, 
while I'm interested in search, I think I would describe my interest more about teaching and learning generally. And I see my role in the library really to be about inspiring a lifelong quest for learning. And also, uh, because I have a personal interest in issues of social justice, I feel like um, empowering youth with the capacity to educate themselves really serves that goal. Here, here. Hi, I'm Vivi Ellock. Um, I used to be a K-12 librarian uh, and now do a certain amount of consulting for schools, um, not just for libraries. And so I guess what I would say is that my interest is actually um, in whole school uh, issues, whole school reform, uh, issues of, uh, like Jolie, I'm very interested in uh, civic education. Um, but uh, my interest and so, so large, uh, I am unlike Natasha, I am uh, uh, scattered rather than deep. <laughs> I told Natasha and Zoe that this morning my biggest um, excitement was that I had done a literature discussion with uh, a group of six third graders on Trumpet of the Swans. So no, it's not just about search. <laughs> So, Jolie, uh, is Matt Montaigne still at Castilea? He's not, actually. But Castilea seems to have a pretty good history of being uh, forward-thinking around technology. Has that been your experience? I think Castilea is really interested in innovation. We're, we're always open to trying new models. Fascinating. Okay, and I want to introduce the elephant in the room. And, and, and you already indicated that you are at the Googleplex. So, Tasha, uh, you know, obviously Google is a commercial company built on search. What, what essentially is Google interested in doing with your team? Well, my team knows that um, search has gotten a lot easier and by some definitions, many definitions, a lot better. And we have these incredible engineers who have built these amazing tools. Um, it's, a, it's a consumer tool. <clears throat> so it's, it's built for very broad-based use. So when you're doing academic work, and in fact, even in, in various everyday life needs, a little bit of education can go a long way to supplement um, the, the engineering side of things. So we are very passionate um, about helping people have that for actually all the reasons that, you, that have been noted by my, uh, by my colleagues here, and that is that we think that being able to find and apply information and evaluate it well is really the bedrock of an informed democracy. Sorry, there's been a lot of talk uh, recently about the customized results that users get in search. What's the kind of standard company line to this concern? Well, um, actually, it's interesting you should say that. Um, I 
uh, we'll try to find and share the link. There was an article recently um, where there's a blog post where someone from our company talked about what personalization does and does not do. And because people are curious about this, one of the things we've recently introduced is verbatim search, which you can find in the left-hand side of the screen. So after you, <coughs> after you run the search and you have your results page, um, if you look on the left-hand side of the screen, there are search tools. And you'll see a link towards the bottom of the page. It says more search tools. Oh, you're going there for us. Um, thank you. And um, that is a good way to do it. So I, um, let's say, I, I, I'm not entirely sure what we'd want to look up that would, oh, I know. This is one, where are we going to look you up? Excellent. So um, we can show options. Um, and so for those of you <coughs> uh, who are looking on the left hand side of the screen, you'll see that I've had this whole, um, column open up for me. And as I scroll down the page, uh, there is, so uh, and I'm sorry. Know that, like, um, yes. uh, we do a web tour like this. Things that you do that don't change the URL don't actually change on everybody's screen. So you're going to have to tell me what to do here. Excellent. Thank you. So <clears throat> if you open up the left-hand panel, there should be a, um, a link on the left that says maybe more search tools or show more options. Um, and then the left-hand panel will open up wide with a number of different options. Usually when you run a search, you'll automatically get some of those options showing on the left-hand side that we um, have seen from experience are the best match uh, that people often want when they run a search like yours. Um, but you can open up and look at all of them. And actually, if you then uh, look at that column, the very bottom of that column says hide options. Right above that is verbatim. And so if I'm you not, click I'm on... I'm not, I'm not getting I'm those. Actually getting those. Is it because I'm hmm. not signed in here? No, it's you. That's interesting. I'm seeing them. How fascinating. Um, okay, so looking, and this is, of course, something we talk through all the time, and all of us being search educators know we often joke that we like to model um, running into trouble on the fly because errors, right? Whenever you teach a class, you run into trouble. So please describe to me what you're seeing on the left-hand column of your screen. Well, and what I'm seeing well, what is I'm only, seeing is only not necessarily reflective of what the rest of the audience is seeing, but uh, it may depend on the machine you're on. I'm on a Windows machine, and I believe that Blackboard is uh, actually pulling up a an instance of Explorer, so that may be, account for some of this. But when I opened up to see more, I saw um, I'm seeing now places, blogs, flights, discussions, recipes, applications, patents, and fewer. And then I'm seeing a place, and then I'm seeing, uh, oh, now I'm at the very bottom. I am now actually seeing all results in verbatim. Shall I click on the verbatim? Please do click on the verbatim. So, Steve, you bring up a great, you bring up a great um, point, and that is there are actually two expandable menus on the left-hand side. So I actually love the left-hand side um, 
I have to say. But uh, there are just so many great tools here. So as you said at the top, you're saying you saw images, videos, etc. Those are different modes. Um, down at the bottom are different filters for each individual mode. So for example, if you went into images, the things that would be in the bottom half would be different and would be applicable to images. And some other time I can act poetic about searching by coloring images. But um, for the time being, the verbatim tool, which is the bottom option in the bottom half of that left-hand screen in web search basically turns off personalization, turns off synonymization, turns off spell checking, turns off everything. So if you're worried, it doesn't turn, there's some things it doesn't turn off like um, we still know where you're searching from because if you look for pizza and you're in New York and you're getting results from San Francisco, that would be really, really, really annoying. So that kind of continues to exist. But the verbatim search is one way for you to see if I turned off pretty much all the stuff that has me worried, what would I actually be getting? So we have uh, an hour turns out to be very limited time when you actually get down to it. So what I'm going to propose we do is um, get us started through these slides that you've prepared or where you've prepared questions uh, to get some answers from our audience. And then um, I have a set of questions. You had a set of sort of follow-up things you wanted to talk about. But why don't we, uh, if it's okay with you, we'll start with the first question set here. And uh, then you can guide us from there. So the question is, to the audience, does your school teach research or search skills? And you're answering A, if your school does not, B, if yes, but with no formal curriculum, and C, yes, with a formal curriculum. And again, you're looking for the little icon in the participant window, the fourth one over with the A, and you then uh, hover over it and select the letter that you are responding with. And interestingly enough, it looks like, again, we have a fairly weighted response here. Right. So um, if I may, this is Jolie. Um, I think this is a really interesting issue to us as librarians because uh, it seems obvious that it would be useful to have a formal curriculum and make sure that we do touch on all the skills that we think are important and that each student gets the benefit of the full education, um, but uh, mitigating against that is, is well, we also recognize that it's much more meaningful to teach search and research skills in the context of the established curriculum, in the context of the projects and the learning that students are doing in their classroom. And um, the challenge there, of course, is uh, finding a way to fit in all of the discrete strategies and skills within an established curriculum. So, to a certain extent, um, then, you need to be opportunistic. Um, and one of the things that um, we're, I'm, I'm writing with Christian Fondicerio and Guy Harada, we're working on a book on professional development. And one of the uh, opportunistic ways that we discuss in that book of teaching research or search skills has to do with what I call concierge PD, professional development, meaning that it's not enough for us to be teaching students. We need to, in a very opportunistic way, teach the teachers to be able to use this. We can't be, as librarians, we can't be everywhere at the same time. So I want to ask two follow-up questions. The first is, 
how much is this audience preaching? Are we preaching to the choir? And in general, if we were to ask this question across a, a broader base of schools, would the response be the same, or would we find that many schools are just not teaching this? That's, that's certainly a good question. I mean, I would suspect that we are preaching the choir when we say that it's important to integrate these skills into the curriculum. But um, I think what I'm most interested in is kind of the ongoing conversation about what are the best strategies for doing that? How are we making that happen and successful? Yeah, that's absolutely true because um, many of us have been teaching research skills for years and years. Um, and it's an ongoing conversation, I think, within the library profession, for sure, about what makes that sticky, what actually stays. And then there's a, um, a question that as things change, how do we change with it and, and what's still important, and what's an enduring, of enduring importance and what needs to be transformed. The, um, the issue, of course, in schools is that if teachers define their roles as I teach my subject, then they may or may not see the relevance of research to that subject, at least in the K-12 field. But um, in fact, um, in most every area of, uh, of, of in any discipline, there are opportunities for teaching evaluation of sources, credibility of information, um, what makes a good, um, what, is, what is useful, what is valuable. Uh, when kids are working on things. So it, it seems to me that our job in a way as librarians, for those of you who are, is to um, make those connections clearer to teachers. So again, uh, if you wouldn't mind, just say your names before you respond, because it is a little bit hard to distinguish voices. But I, I'm also interested in this sort of interest, the dynamic that we're experiencing now, where the focus on test scores often means that other programs are getting cut. And it feels as though the librarians who are so uniquely qualified to provide leadership in this area often feel like their jobs are not secure. Is that just my impression, or is it actually true? Oh, you're not going to get any argument out of us around that. Um. But, but there, I mean, there are multiple difficulties because, of course, when um, when we're focusing on test scores, there's also a question of where where these skills even fall um, in anyone's day. Um, and and I do think you know something that's great that librarians can do is, as Debbie said, um, kind of. The flip of what Debbie was talking about. Sorry, this is Tasha with a voice. Um, uh, the flip of what Debbie was talking about is, you know, we can provide professional development and collaborate really closely with the teachers because often I think that a lot of the tactics, a lot of the small, uh, strategic, the big things that are important, but also a lot of the the, the learning opportunities for for small techniques that students can apply, they come up in context. And if we don't address them in context, they don't stick. I think we have a wonderful this is Debbie now. This is Debbie now. <laughs> I think we have a wonderful opportunity because what's happening now in the rest of the world as opposed to in education is that people are realizing the need for uh, credible, evaluated information. There's so many ways in which information is, is distorted or not clear or where there's polarization of ideas. So I think we will be getting demand from the adult population to press down on the schools more to teach it because the adults are realizing that they don't know these things. Mm -hmm. 
And, and if I can add, this is Jolie, also um, maybe uh, the flip side of the pressure for test scores and, and cut, cutting budgets um, and on an optimistic note, um, I think we're also seeing a lot of movement towards project-based learning and interdisciplinary work, and I think that's a really rich territory for librarians to occupy mm -hmm. so that uh, when students are doing things that are more creative and um, where different disciplines are drawn together, the library can really become the hub of those kind of projects and the source of the credibility, the rigor, the content that, um, that really makes those projects intellectually valid. Absolutely. This is Tasha. And I, I know that um, not only am I sitting in a, in a real room with people who do that, but I know that we have folks here in our virtual room who are experts at the same. And I mean, there are, there are people whose names I see here who do this every day in amazingly creative ways. It is interesting as you describe the, the skills because oftentimes I, I feel the equivalent uh, to getting the cheapest flight on an airplane you know, when I do a really I do a search very well, when I when I find data easily, and there's some kind of a little bit of a thrill for me there. Okay, so let's move on to your next question. And again, feel free to come back to any of these topics, but I just want to make sure that we've at least uh, gone through the prepared material. So this I'm going to clear the poll right now. I'm sorry, I should have done that earlier, but now I've cleared the poll, and you're looking for the fourth icon over in the participant window. Whose responsibility is it to teach search? slash research. A, each classroom teacher as they wish. B, the history or English teacher. C, the technology teacher. D, the librarian. Or E, some combination of the above. <coughs> Having uh, worked in a number of, this is Debbie. Having worked in a number of schools, uh, helping them to figure out um, what the role of research is in their program, um, I find it heartening that a lot of people have said that, they're, that they believe that E is a good answer because, in fact, no one person alone could possibly teach um, all areas of research in all disciplines. And what research looks like in science begins in a very different way than it would in the humanities, begins in a very different way than it would in the arts. And so it, it really is a, a boat with everyone pulling on an oar. Did you want to make any more comments on this before we move to the next question? Um, well, I'd be curious uh, in chat um, whether, so the some combination of the above can either mean kind of it's just happening randomly or it's happening planfully. Um, so I have to admit to being very selfish, I'm very curious to hear from all of you what your research looks like. So we're kind of, I mean, these questions are for, are for our joy and education and we appreciate you sharing your experiences with us. I'm going to let you watch those responses in the chat. And we'll move to the next question. This one was really interesting to me. Does your, um, oh, wait, I need to clear the responses here. So does your school offer training for parents around the idea of research online? A for no, B for yes, research skills specifically, C for yes, internet safety, D for technical practices. 
So, and this is Jolie. So this is something that we're working on developing at my school, and um, it's a fascinating area. I'm excited to hear, um, seeing that, that the predominant answer is no, and I can understand why, because parents are often a very challenging constituency to work with. But, um, you know, I think it's equally clear that they're important partners for us in this work. Yeah, absolutely, because the, sorry, Tasha, they're the ones who are um, maybe, maybe not standing behind the students when they're at home doing their, doing a lot of this kind of free-ranging um, on the web. And so it's really powerful for parents to have that information and um, parents are voters. <laughs> Well, I think also um, there's a lot of misconceptions that we can help clear up if we do this kind of education. You know, um, uh, early on when I was working, I worked at a school in Hillsborough, and uh, early on we, uh, when the internet was pretty new, <laughs> we did a whole lot of training of parents. This is Debbie, by the way. Um, I always forget to tell you my name. I apologize. Uh, and uh, they were grateful for it because, uh, like their kids, they felt that they were novices in some ways, but their kids sometimes made them feel as if they, the kids knew a lot about things like search. And um, it's a fallacy, of course, and we know that it's a fallacy, that just because you can move the mouse around that you understand the, the more sophisticated notions of evaluation and search. So yes, it, having parents on your side is a, is a tremendous, uh, we, we teach parents to, to work with kids in reading, which is another literacy. We teach them to read books to them. Why are we not also teaching parents to do, to do research and search with their kids? And uh, this is Tasha, but from my perspective, I can say that my experience both here um, and before I came to Google is that from a Google perspective, parents are really excited to learn how to search Google better. It's actually a potential for fantastic engagement because people do use it all the time and they wonder um, if there's even more that they can do, they're happy with it, um, and they want to know what else. Um, so it's a great way to reach out. So when, uh, when the web was just starting to infiltrate into schools, one of the great um, sort of lovely things that I remember seeing was um, creating opportunities for the students to teach the parents. And Audrey Waters talked about this in a post today about actually flipping the classroom, but flipping who's doing the teaching. Have there been some good examples of programs where the teachers are working with the students to have the students then teach the parents? Um, particularly in, um, in immigrant populations and in urban areas, there is um, many schools reach out to parents for exactly this. It becomes a, for parents, a way of job training and, and much more uh, getting some of the skills that they need as well as improving their language skills. So I'm familiar with some schools, for example, in Redwood City that were doing that in the public schools. I don't know if they're still doing it, but uh, that they were. And in San Jose, 
which is in our area. Well, and uh, sorry, this is Tasha. So um, I actually always used to use that argument with my students. I used to tell them, we're going to do this today, and you stick with me, and you will go home knowing more than your parents. And I would often have them design materials to take home to teach their parents, or to take home to hang up by, back when there were family computers, which some families still may have, um, to hang up on the wall next to the computer so that making them the experts, because that's such an investment, right, when you know more than your parents. So this is Jolie. Um, I think we're interested in um, engaging the parents uh, in terms of, so when we're, when we're putting together project-based experiences, we're looking for an authentic audience. And the parents are a good, a good potential audience. And then the kids have the opportunity to teach what they just learned, so really cement their learning. And we can kind of tacitly, implicitly educate the parents that way as well. Yeah, I really love that idea and still do. I'm, uh, Peggy George is in the room and I'm thinking that may have come up in a workshop we did together, but the idea of having the parents all come uh, to the school and having the students teach them. Okay, so I'm going to clear the results and now our next question is, what methods do you use to teach evaluation skills? And you respond by clicking on the icon that's the fourth one over in the participant window. If you hover over it, it will give you options for A, B, C, D, or E. So A would be acronyms, B, checklists, C, hoax sites, D, annotation, E, other. What methods do you use to teach evaluation skills? And if you share E, again, I'm going to beg you to share in the chat box. Because this is actually, um, Jolie and Debbie's making, sorry, this is Tasha, Debbie's making a funny face right now because we've recently gone to a bunch of conferences together and we've uh, been kept up nights battling on this particular subject. We are not in agreement. Um, so, uh, and I see people saying they're sick of the old methods and, oh, yes. That's, that's the rub, right? The question is, um, we put up a bunch of, all, of, of methods here that we've been trying. I don't know how well people feel. And again, please share in chat how you feel that they work. I see a uh, choice. Thank you. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> we're going to have to learn how to speed read. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, there are things that are easier. There are things that are harder. And I think this is really the crux, right? Evaluation is so hard, and it's the key skill that students really need to I mean, if they can't find the right thing in the first place, it doesn't matter if they can evaluate it or not. Um, but once they've found it, that's really important. So, um, this is Jolie. So one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that, um, you know, evaluation is something that we all do as adults as well um, without really thinking about it consciously when we encounter a website. Um, and I think that we have internalized some processes and procedures from, uh, you know, our life experiences. And so we, while we want to teach kids uh, good processes and procedures and key things to look for, um, eventually or ultimately we want them to internalize those processes and not actually have to go through an explicit set of processes each time they encounter a new piece of information. You know, when, um, when you, this is Jenny, <laughs> when you uh, read a wonderful book and finish it and close the book, 
you don't turn to your partner and say, oh, I just finished this fabulous book. In the morning, I'm going to do a diorama. And there's something very much like that about checklists and hoax sites and even acronyms. Um, uh, and in, in some ways, we've had these arguments because there's a kind of artificiality about them that they, they represent training wheels, and yet at the very same time, they, they are so divorced from actual practice that they make it very difficult to actually transfer to real life searching and evaluating of information. And that's the crux of the problem. Uh, you're absolutely right. And one of, uh, this is Tasha, one of the things I was just realizing didn't make it onto our list here is, of course, things like Alexa and the link operator and, um, and this whole who is searching, which is another thing that we're passionate about. And there are times that they're really, really great, but they're just not feasible for every day. So I'm so curious. You know, one of the things I spend a lot of time kind of mulling over is what is it that that we actually can functionally teach students that, as Jolie says and as, as Debbie says, will become automated. And this, Steve, was the basis for one of the questions that um, you and I had discussed, and that is, do students, now that we have search, do students need to have a core base of knowledge anymore? Can they just look everything up? And this grew out of a passionate belief that I personally hold that, um, if we don't have a core knowledge base, that we don't have the most fundamental tools we need to do evaluation. So an example of that, um, one of my favorite resources at the moment is uh, Megan McArdle's Atlantic Monthly Post um, from May 3rd of this year, <coughs> where, um, again, many of you I think are on Twitter, and you might have seen after Osama bin Laden died, Twitter and Facebook lit up with this Martin Luther King quote about how he would never wish death on even one of his enemies. And when this blogger was looking at this quote, she was thinking, which enemy could that possibly be referring to? And that sent him on this whole voyage to figure out where this quote came from and to discover that it was, in fact, um, a missharing of someone's personal comments in Facebook. Um, and I always think about that because if she hadn't had a knowledge of Martin Luther King and if she hadn't had a knowledge of the history at the time, there's no way she could have triggered and wondered if that was real or not. And so I feel like this background knowledge, that, that it's not something that we can lose in our educational process or the whole search piece falls apart. You know, this is Debbie again. You can get me going on this for an hour, but um, I'd like to do a disclaimer here, which is about our principal at uh, Noodle Tools, which is a uh, product that uh, platform which uh, helps students with the research and evaluation of materials, and it is a, a citation and note-taking program. Uh, but one of the things that I have seen that is extremely effective is the asking kids to write annotations for the specific sources that they use. Yeah. And the reason for that is because it is relevant to the actual search that they're doing, the actual information that they're evaluating, and because they really have to apply what they know about quality of information, context of information, who has written this, why have they written this, to a specific source that they're actually using. Right. This is Jolie, and I'm absolutely teaching annotations. <laughs> the, uh, somebody mentioned that they're sick and tired of uh, checklists. 
And I, I would agree. Um, there's a wonderful book called The Checklist Manifesto uh, in which Otto Blonde argues that um, uh, that operations have become much more successful than the uh, result the, um, the people who survive if checklists are used as key decision points because at that moment, in the moment, there are places that you can evaluate your process very clearly and specifically. Um, and I think there is a place for a checklist like that at specific key points, but not that generalized 40-question checklist that's everything from the uh, how the spelling is to uh, whether or not it's a .com site. Those are right. So, so when we're talking historically, and when we're talking about evaluation, what we're really talking about is credibility. And uh, one of the things that the three of us are often talking about is that um, when you're evaluating the credibility or usefulness of a site, it has to be within the context of your information need. Um, so if you have a checklist, you know, you may evaluate, you may find errors or flaws with the site, but that doesn't eliminate it as being a useful resource for your existing needs. Which is, of course, important in the context is from the Tasha there, sorry, from the comments I've seen going by about how search is both an academic skill and a life skill. Because later on in life, people are going to be making life decisions, which um, academic Academically focused check checklists may may not be as valid, but the interesting flip side of that is that credibility um, can be very is a very personal right. thing, right? It's socially constructed. It's very personal, um, and when we're actually doing college prep, there's a whole other piece, which is the authority piece, because there is to a certain extent a canon. There, there's someone else's credibility that you kind of have to put on as a hat when you're in an academic setting. And if someone's going on to college to a scholarly environment, they have to have both those pieces and more. Right. So what is my, what is the context and the purpose of my information need? And um, in the, when I'm writing an annotation, that has to be a piece of the annotation. Is this appropriate for my need? In what way? So uh, I, I noticed uh, in the chat window that someone said, uh, you know, annotations are good for high school, but I have the first, second, third, fourth, fifth graders, and uh, they are um, maybe not so capable of writing annotations. And um, I certainly think they may not be capable of writing them, but I do know that there's good research out there that shows that kids are capable, of, even at a very young age, of evaluating information. Um, they will make judgments about evaluation, and what we need to do is figure out how to capture that information in print if they are unable to type, if they're young enough. So the question to a young child might be, um, what was good about this source on text? What, what, what part of it was useful to you? And why, why um, do you think this book or this website was created? Uh, this website comes from um, a pet store. I wonder, do you, might they have a reason for giving this kind of information at a pet store? So there are ways that working with children, again, not necessarily having them do the, the, the uh, scribing. You might have to do the scribing, but getting them to articulate. Yeah, and, and I think the earlier we start the practice, the better. Because the problem, I mean, a lot of these things that I often hear in the course of my work, well, kids can't do that. Um, I, there is developmental appropriateness for 
sure that there's also a matter of we spend a lot of time assuming kids can't do things that they really need to do every day. You know, um, a lot of people teach citation as a, um, a task to be accomplished rather than at the beginning of an evaluation process. Uh, and I know schools that have um, put together what they call um, a set of rules about the culture of attribution, which has less to do with simply an, or, um, a, a, an automated process and more to do with where I got my information. So they um, have a, a handout that goes home to parents that says, if you work with your child on homework, would you please sign the bottom and say, um, I help my child with this homework or have the child say my, my dad helped me with this information. Um, and, I, and that goes through the entire school and that's with very young children. So I think if we think of citation as more than getting the periods and the commas in the right place, I think there is a purpose and a place for citation in evaluation of sources. I, I think this is Tasha. I think that's true, Debbie. And also I think, I mean, we've talked about this before too. This is another of our favorite topics for late nights. But um, I'm really interested in this idea that kids, little, little kids do things that are very similar to citation. You know, I see pre-K students and kindergarten students writing like simple books, you know, ball, soccer ball, baseball, you know, maybe that's the content of the book. But at the beginning they want to say, this is for my dad who, and my mom who plays ball with me every day. And so I think there are these ways that we see citation-like behaviors taking place and I'd love to see us connecting the dots. Right. right. Jolie, I think um, what, you, what Tasha's getting at here is about intellectual property and, and getting kids aware of the intellectual property that they're creating might uh, help sensitize them to the importance of yes, attribution. And, and this is Tasha, again, uh, building on that, not only do we have them aware of the process of attribution, but then we also open up the types of sources that kids can be using, going back to this idea that in everyday life there are so many kinds of input we're getting now. We're collaborating, and there's the whole debate about that online encyclopedia and where it stands, and there are all of these sources that are, that are going into who we are and what we're doing academically now. And I would love to see us finding ways to embrace those more thoroughly um, and more openly. Right. Culture of collaboration. Yeah. I think we, could, gonna, we could keep talking here. I want to jump in here if I can. So uh, I, people, I think, in the chat really responded to the annotation idea. And I think, in part, uh, this conversation exists at a couple of levels, and, and one of which is um, recognizing the importance of research and search and literacy skills, and at the same time, people wanting some kind of practical advice to take away from them. So it, I want to switch the Q&A in a minute, but before we do so, could, could I ask each of you to give sort of a uh, you know, your response to the magic wand question, I mean, if you could wave a magic wand, uh, what would we be doing to, to really do a better job in this area? Um, so this is Tasha. Um, it's a huge area, and I know we're sitting there thinking about all the things we've debated about leading up to today and thinking, oh my, one tiny little corner in 45 minutes. So what I'm going to do, there isn't a magic wand. It's a lot of hard work. Um, but I'm going to tell you what I've come to feel from just like a stepping back and like a search standpoint. If there was one skill 
and it's actually like a thousand skills wrapped up into one. If there's one skill that I desperately wish we were teaching, is that when I write, whatever it is I type in the search box in whatever tool, I want to be able to, I want kids to practice looking at their results and asking, is this what I expected to happen? Mm -hmm. If it's not what I expected to happen, what do I think happened? And if I think creatively about all the stuff I know or have encountered, what creative solutions can I use to make it more like what I expected? Right. This is Jolie. Um, I agree with Tasha that there isn't a magic wand, but uh, one idea that's, that's really meaningful to me is uh, the idea of resilience, so that when kids are faced with a task or a piece of technology or you know, information need, that um, they feel like they have a set of skills and options and strategies that will um, enable them to iterate through a process rather than just kind of, oh, I typed in cats and this isn't what I wanted, so maybe the librarian can help me. Right? <laughs> Instead, a sense of um, self-reliance and resilience. Uh, this is Dave. Betty, I'm trying, without um, telling you that I agree with everything that's been said before, which I do, um, the thing that I might add would be that um, we know that the specifics of search will change, that things change, and um, we, so what I would like to see are, is for us to develop three dispositions in kids. Now, flexibility to recognize when things change, what can I do? Yes. The creativity to begin to think about what is what what are some possibilities that are not necessarily within the box that I could think about. And I think the third piece, I'd like to piggyback on something that was said in a I, I went to a very interesting talk that Dan Russell gave on sense making, and he. Um, he talked a lot about um, sense making as a kind of representing or representing information in new ways as a kind of a synthesis thing. And I would like kids to recognize that the information that they get is not the information that they, they are left with. That it is their job to represent that information. And that's what inquiry is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, so this is Tasha again. And I will, well, I'm not fun shameless plugs. I'm going to give a quick shameless plug. I apologize. And that is that here at Google, my job is to engage with educators of every stripe around what it means to teach search. And so um, uh, my team is the search education team at Google. Um, I'm just going to give my email address. It's T like Tasha, B like Benson, M like Michelson at Google.com. Reach out to me. If there are things you feel passionate about, get in touch with me. I would love to collaborate with you and build materials. And then we have materials that go, Steve, into these kind of um, minute details because there are so many types of skills you need, it's hard to summarize them here. So where, where would someone go to who feels like this is they understand the the importance of search they're they've been swayed by uh, this passionate plea and they really want to figure this out in their school or in their classroom. Sorry, I'm looking uh, to pull up the proper URL for you because it's uh, somewhat long. But I think you can do a bitly link bit.ly slash 
G for Google, web search education. Um, that's long. I can't care. Let me type it in. I believe that will get you. That's the fastest way. Yeah, yeah it works. Yay. I hear it works. So let me type it in. And while she's doing that, we are going to uh, go to Q&A. We have 10 minutes left. So if you have a question that you'd like to ask or you put it in the chat and it didn't get answered, uh, we'll have you raise your hand. That's the third icon over in the participant window. It's the hand. Uh, and it will raise your hand and we'll give you the microphone. Or you can put that question in the chat again. This is so funny. I'm getting a page view limit exceeded error on that side. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And for the librarians in the room who really, really, really love command line searching, I'll point out that one of the things you can find there is a whole list of commands. Okay, hold on. We're seeing some questions. Please, Debbie, go ahead. I see one that's, uh, this is Debbie. It, what exactly is the core knowledge that students need before they are, oh, wait a minute, I lost it. They maybe squish up the track. Um, before they are ready for taught research skills. It wasn't that it was before they were ready for it, but rather that we're not interested in eliminating content entirely just because um, a lot of content is available digitally. You know, for example, when you think about reading, let's, let's draw an analogy to reading a book. Well before children can read themselves, they are read to and they understand much more sophisticated material than they can read. In the same way, I think there are ways that we should be teaching core knowledge to students before they may actually be able to apply it to their own small projects in school. It's funny. I see. Uh, I see you saying that you always have your most productive conversations with teachers over lunch, and I think it's really it's such an interesting um, point because naturally, I mean, clearly, this is where we have the three of us have our conversations. And in fact, what I love about kind of the, that concept of a flipped classroom and inquiry-based learning and project-based learning is I'll often go into a class with. Um, a notion of what I want to get across. But I think the best learning happens when the students go somewhere with that um, and, and to kind of see where we go as a group. I, um, I also uh, wanted just to mention that I'm beginning to use Google Plus in ways that are search-like. So uh, today I um, was looking through, I had done a search, I had remembered some discussion about attention, issues of attention, and I, had, I did a search in Google Plus on attention, and what I got, um, uh, you know, in multitasking, and what I got was a live stream of content from people that I knew, but also experts in the field who were discussing this. So I think that there are ways that we will be uh, doing sort of social things in search that will be, um, I think Google, Google Plus itself offers some new um, options for some very interesting things at this point for adults, but I think eventually for students. Again, that brings me back to this point of sort of the secret thrill I feel 
when I pay less than anybody else look for an airplane seat or when I do a search well and I know that I'm getting good information. Uh, it, uh, what I heard you saying, Debbie, is that we're all sort of still learning very much. And if we're learning how difficult it is for teachers and parents who don't have anywhere near our level of experience to be communicating the importance of this. So are there other things that we can be doing to, to where, where you've seen people successfully get the message out that search matters? Um, this is Tasha. So it's really interesting because, again, one of the debates that uh, we had, well, there, the three of us are in agreement, is that what we really care about is the strategies versus individual tools. And it's a big picture in the, that what, um, what Dan Russell, uh, my team leader here, calls the research stance that kind of matters. But what's fascinating is that it's the tools that get them. Right? You don't have time to explain the big picture. It sounds like pie in the sky. But show someone who needs it how to do site colon to search within a site, how to use two dots between numbers to do a number range search, how to, um, my favorite pretty trick that some of you might have encountered before, but um, when someone comes up to a reference desk and asks for a book by color, color book, the cover, and you can use uh, Google image search and the color filter to expose that book. If those moments, that quick kind of, whoa, I didn't know you could do that, this opens up a whole world of discussion. Uh, and this is Jolie. Um, I see, I kind of do disagree because I, I don't find those individual tools all that exciting. Um, I'm really much more excited by that research stance, that, that resilient orientation that's really about uh, learning for the joy of learning and in fact getting that thrill of I just discovered something new and I think that as educators we we know how to teach that through modeling and uh, by by embodying that attitude and that orientation and I think that um, this is a place where librarians are incredibly well positioned to teach this kind of thing because we do see the same students over the course of their entire time in school. So for me, that's seven years with the same group of kids. And if I'm integrating what I'm teaching in the classroom and I see those kids, you know, a dozen, two dozen times a year for specific lessons, then I'm seeing them over the course of their entire adolescence and I'm able to, I hope, present a really powerful model of this, this orientation. You know, a lot of times, but this is Eddie, a lot of times in schools, when I go into a school, I, um, I'm told that there's a senior project or there's a special, um, in, in freshman year they do this and in sophomore year they do this. Um, and, and I'm really almost less impressed by that than when I go into a school and I walk into a classroom and I see a teacher talking to a student about uh, some question that that student had. Um, I saw one uh, not so long ago where the student was saying, well, what exactly is chocolate? <laughs> Instead of saying, well, you know, here's a book or, you know, here, here, let's go look on Google or whatever and, and find the answer. The teacher then pushed back and said, well, exactly what do you mean by what is chocolate? And it became a conversation about curiosity. It created a situation where the student could then go and look up in Google something and would stick to it longer because the Velcro ball of information had begun to grow and things were being attached to it before that student even hit 
the search engines, and, and it's true, I mean, like, I see it in the comments here, sorry, this is Tasha, I see it in the comments, too, that the <laughs> concept of joy and curiosity, I think mean, that's what really inspires me, right? What is it, I mean, because it's, it's inherent, like, it, it all comes out of that. If you're inherently curious, then you bring creativity to the process. Then you bring resilience to the process. Then you have room in your head for tools, memorizing lists of tools, because they have a practical application within the frame of your curiosity. So what I want to see is how we really push it as educators. Now, you know, um, we, we really sound pie in the sky to us, uh, even to us. So I want to bring this right back down to that teacher that said, yes, but. Yes. Uh, and what I want to say is basically you're going to get assignments, whether you're the tech person or the librarian in the school, you're, there are going to be assignments that are going to be those boring, what Dave, what Dave Lurcher calls the bird reports. And uh, they are simply regurgitation of information. You know, rather than throwing elements into the Cuisinart and creating something new, they are really just mirroring the information that, that is there. And I think at that moment, your job is to teach a search strategy that's good enough for that particular task, which means a, a very lightweight search strategy or uh, evaluation strategy that doesn't require a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of thinking because the whole assignment doesn't require a whole lot of effort. Well, and this is Tasha. I feel terrible because I can't remember his name. I think it's Greg. And Greg, I don't remember your last name. I'm sorry. But a conversation that recently took place on LMNet um, where uh, no, it wasn't Greg. I'm sorry. It was someone else who talked about how sometimes there are also other skills that we need, and it's not always just about search. And sometimes there are other um, tasks, other uh, skills that need to be built through an assignment that looks like a research assignment. So as you noted earlier, you, uh, we've just t turned up one tiny part of the cover in, in an hour. And um, you know, unfortunately, our hour is up. But this was fascinating to me personally. I'm going to wait for the big search matters bus to start going from school to school. Uh, feels as though this is just stunningly important. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, I'm going to encourage um, our three guests to put their email addresses again in the chat uh, for any kind of direct contact. Uh, any final words before we close up here? We just really want to thank you for coming out. This is something the three of us are passionate about. We know that you're busy in every time zone, and some of you in the middle of the night or very early in the morning. And we're deeply grateful for your time and engagement. And um, whichever one that shares our contact information, we passionately look forward to more and ongoing engagement. And uh, just to let you know, um, our conversations late at night are full of lots of disagreements because there is no one right way to do this. And in fact, your job as a professional is to find people that you can disagree with yes. who will push your thinking so that you won't necessarily all agree on the same strategy. That's right. I hope you're all as lucky as I am to find colleagues like these to disagree with. So thanks everybody for being here. We're getting a lot of mic off if you would just for this last part. We're getting a lot of interest in the chat and a follow up. I actually think it might make sense to do kind of a little bit of a mini conference on this, maybe three or four hours with uh, different sessions. But we'll we'll save that for a later day.
please consider uh, coming to one of our Future of Education events coming up in December or January, February. Thanks again to Tasha, Debbie, and Jolie. That was really a terrific hour.